Hello and welcome back to Sounds of Science, our special 2022 year in review. My name is Dante and I am UCOPE's Communications and Business Development Manager. If you're interested in staying up to date on all of the latest news and initiatives within the world of European life sciences, then kindly hit the subscribe button on your phone or device. Throughout 2022, there have been successes, challenges, delays and change within the European pharmaceutical industry. We expect much more to come in the new year. On the final episode of the year, we will unravel the past 12 months in European pharma and biotech legislation, looking at everything from rare diseases to ATMPs and EUHTA to digital health, sharing key highlights and what to expect in 2023. A quick introduction to our guests, who if you've listened to our podcast before, you should know very well. Victor Martins, our Government Affairs Manager. I doubt that. Matthias Olsen, our Public Affairs and Policy Manager. Hi, and Merry Christmas, everyone. And Leander Vrankin, our Digital Health Policy Officer. Hello, everyone. All right, guys, if it's fine with you, I think we could just jump right in. Uh, Victor, the revision of the OMP regulation will happen early next year in Q1. As a buildup in 2022, what are some of the key updates that have happened, and how has UCOPE been present in this space? Thanks, Dante. Um, no, indeed, I think uh, after a long, long build-up, uh, we're hoping to see what, what the Commission has been cooking up for the OMP regulation next year. That's been a few years in the making. And, uh, yeah, we, we hope it comes out Q1, but, uh, you know, we're not, uh, we're always we're always prepared to be flexible. Um, I think UCOP has done, done quite a lot in the space over the last few years. We've, um, we've especially worked with the ODU expert group to look at what, what the environment needs throughout the full life cycle, looking from development all the way through the, the delivery of, of the product. And we've come up with 14 recommendations um, already, which I think a lot of listeners are familiar with. And we're keeping that work going into next year as well as the OD Expert Group looks at other changes, other improvements we'd like to see to, to make sure that we can continue to develop these therapies and really make them available to patients as well. I think we've also been looking at other elements and policies that we understand that the Commission is looking at, and I'll, I'll dive a bit more into those later as well, but we've looked at what the implications could be of things like launch conditionality and the concept of trying to define highest medical need for, for these rare therapies. That's, while you know, I understand where, where the Commission is coming from, we're a bit concerned about what that might mean for the development and access of these kind of therapies to, to rare disease patients. I think I'd also just like to, to recognize a lot of the work that our, our former colleague Victoria did on this work, kind of leading it uh, quite successfully for the last few years, and hopefully we can, we can carry, carry her legacy forward. But in a few months ago, she was in Prague, where we had the opportunity to speak during the Czech presidency meeting on rare diseases, the idea of an action plan, and kind of how we see that moving forward as well. I think that was... A, a good opportunity for, for everyone working in the rare disease space to, to talk through and kind of share our vision for what the future holds. Well, thanks very much for that, Victor. And uh, I guess just moving forward to um, discuss a little bit about ATMPs, you've been present at several conferences this year discussing growth in that space. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the Transform Alliance uh, and the launch of their MVP charter and what we should prepare for for next year with relation to the ATMP space? Thanks, Dante. No, I'm happy to talk about transforming kind of the ATMP space, but I think, you know, before, before jumping into that, 
we need to say big thanks to, to everyone in the alliance, um, the different stakeholders, as well as the secretariat. Because I think without without them, without kind of the, the willingness to collaborate and to, to work on this topic together, I don't think we would have gotten as far as we have now. Um, I think really for, for those that don't know about Transform, again, there's plenty out there, but in, in short, it's a multi-stakeholder alliance looking at ATMP policy, looking at how we can provide evidence-based policy solutions to improve access um, to, to these kind of uh, transformative therapies. And the charter that we launched on the 13th of October is really a culmination of the last two years of work, where we've pulled out seven recommendations, each with a number of uh, sub-suggestions, as to how we can move forward and make sure that, that we see improved access to these kind of therapies. And we've, we've really tried to make sure that, again, it's, it's We've paid, put the patient in the center of this conversation, both literally and figuratively. If, if you look at our, our, if you look at the charter, and it was fantastic to see twenty-two MEPs come around the charter, endorse it, and move it forward. I think really the next steps is we want to build on this. We've we've set out some some ambitions. We've set out some things. Once you change, both at European and at national level. At European level, we've looked at the OOP regulation, the HTA regulation, general pharmaceutical legislation. SOHO regulation and a few others. And next year, we want to move forward by putting more meat on the bones, suggesting very concrete things that need to be changed. That will be part of the story because ultimately, I think it's a conversation that needs to balance national and EU level policy, but hopefully Transform can be a vehicle to help help bring that thinking forward. If you look indeed, and I just want to give you kudos for the great work you've done with Transform, and also a big shout out to uh, our former Government Affairs Director, Vittoria Carrado, who's no longer with us, but she's been quite instrumental in helping you cope, uh, become a, a major player within the OMP space in Europe. So thanks a lot to Vittoria as well, and Merry Christmas to you. And um, I guess, Victor, people can find more about uh, Transform Alliance via their website? Indeed. Uh... You're always welcome to the Transform website, and I think, Dante, you've uploaded a few uh, few things of what we've done there as well. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, if you, if you go to the Transform website, transformalliance.eu, you'll be able to find all of our recommendations, the charter, a number of other policy documents as well. Um, and you'll be able to go to their YouTube page, you'll be able to find the recordings of, of these meetings. So if, if anyone missed out on anything the last two years, you can, you can find it all back there. Wonderful. Thanks for that. Uh, just moving a little bit towards the digital health space. Uh, Leander, you're the expert in this field. Uh, in May earlier this year, the European Commission released a proposal for their regulation introducing the European Health Data Space or the EHDS. Now, we've already discussed this actually on the podcast before, but I guess with the proposal, how would small and mid-sized companies be affected? Yes, Dante, uh, thank you very much for, for the question. Uh, and indeed, uh, on the 3rd of May, uh, 2022. So this year, uh, the European Commission indeed launched the, uh, the legislative proposal calling for the establishment of this European Health Data Space, right? ES or EHDS, uh, abbreviated. Uh, and it's a very important initiative. And, and really, it is a, a, an acceleration of digitalizing um, Europe's health sector. And it's also the first uh, of its kind. Eh? It's, it's the first common uh, data space introduced at European level. Uh, and basically, the proposal seeks to provide this uh, one uh, data environment or a health-specific data environment that compromises rules and also common standards and practices um, uh, and a governance framework, how health data uh, can, can be lawfully shared. 
Now, to answer your question, um, so how would small and mid-sized uh, companies be affected or, or benefit from the EHDS? And to give you a short answer, uh, the EHDS uh, will really allow innovators such as small uh, and, and mid-sized uh, pharmaceutical or, or biotech companies uh, to temporarily gain access uh, to, to anonymized and pseudomized health data from, from all over Europe. And, and this can come from hospitals uh, that generate billions of data, but, but also uh, from, from other data holders. Uh, so it will really allow for small and mid-sized uh, uh, companies to innovate, to gain knowledge, and it will uh, in turn also enable to build uh, better health solutions and, and medicines for patients. Uh, it's eventually all uh, about, about the patients. Uh, um, so, and also especially in the area of, of, of rare diseases, uh, health data uh, on rare diseases is scattered uh, across Europe and, and therefore having this unique single market for data on, on, on rare diseases also is, is, is really essential. Um, and yeah, we need access to data and uh, we will also, um, well, data that will give uh, evidence um, to make more informed decisions that can change lives of, of patients uh, suffering from health diseases is, is important. So Short access is key and, and access to health data will allow small uh, and mid-sized companies uh, to, to really innovate and find uh, better solutions for, uh, for, for patients. All right. Thanks, Leander, for that. That was great. And just kind of as a follow-up, um, looking ahead to 2023, what new initiatives or updates will arise? And um, I guess, how will, the, how will this affect patients' health data and also uh, biopharmaceutical operations in Europe? about the European health data space, uh, no new initiatives will arise uh, in, in 2023. Uh, it's, it's now really up to the Council and, and the European Parliament uh, to, to find an agreement on the, on the final uh, version of the EHDS, which is currently uh, fiercely being, uh, being discussed in the EU institutions. Um, the, the updates that we can expect uh, is that the committees uh, responsible for the file uh, in the Parliament, right, which is currently the, the Civil uh, uh, Protection Committee uh, and the Committee on, on Health will draft their, uh, their first reports, but there's absolutely uh, no certainty uh, that the EHDS file uh, will, will make it through Parliament uh, uh, in the year 2023. Um, currently in the Parliament, it's all about finding the right balance between uh, data protection on the one hand uh, and data sharing uh, on the other. And in the Council, it's, uh, it's the Swedish presidency. They, they will continue the work of, of the Czech presidency, of course, on this, what they call themselves, a large and complex file. Um, but constructing a timeline on, on EHDS is, is unfortunately uh, not possible at this moment. Uh, there are those that say that it will even go over the 2024 elections, but uh, some that say that uh, we'll reach an agreement in 2023, but we'll, we'll have to see. Um, the most critical subjects uh, at this moment uh, um, being discussed in, in Parliament and Council are about the definitions and also, of course, the interplay between the General Data Protection Regulation and, and the EHDS, uh, but also other overlapping uh, EU legislation uh, and, uh, but, and also safeguards for commercially sensitive information IP standards. Those are uh, currently the, uh, the, the main uh, hurdles. Uh, but for now, uh, for small and mid-sized companies, and, and most importantly for patients, of course, also is uh, is important that the EHDS file uh, keeps moving forward um, and work towards creating a, a, a common governance to, to collect as much data as, as, as possible uh, uh, to promote the, the transfer of knowledge and, and best practices to innovate is, I would say, the most important. 
indeed very important. A lot of new updates within this space, and I'm sure uh, our both our European and our American colleagues are paying close attention to how this uh, shapes in the next couple of years. So thanks a lot for your great work on this. And uh, just moving over to Matthias now, the Norwegian on the team. <laughs> um, Uneta has had several consultations throughout the year, finishing its last one, I believe, in, in late November uh, regarding the EUHTA procedure. So I guess what are some of the results of these consultations and how will they affect the EUHTA procedure when launched in uh, 2025? Yeah, thank you, Dante. I heard from my colleague here, uh, Leander, that I think you said access is key or it's all about access. And that's exactly what this regulation is about. It's about increasing access to patients for, uh, for patients to innovative therapies, but also at the same time reducing the burdens for the developers and HTA bodies of the current fragmented system that we find across the 27 uh, different member states of the European Union. So uh, we have started now with a with a strong um, strong legal basis with the regulation, and so but a lot of this system that will actually ensure that this this access is generated remains to be put in place. So um, over this year, the, the European Commission has, through their service provider Uneta Twenty One, uh, been uh, developing proposals for for the detailed procedural and method methodological rules. Um, and procedures for the EU HTA procedure. And uh, so what we have been doing is uh, we have established a task force within UCOP where we work together with our members' experts to, to go through these new uh, proposed uh, guidelines or guidances for, for how to, to uh, do the joint clinical assessments with a fine-tooth comb to, to identify uh, what could work and what could not. And so we, uh, we have identified... Um, a number of, of, of uh, things that would need some tweaking, as, especially when you look at it in terms of access uh, access to orphan medicinal products and ATMPs. Um, we see that uh, there's a, a need to, to really accommodate the specificities of these types of technologies, as is also acknowledged in the regulation and, and the, uh, uh, the proposed methodologies that we have uh, seen so far do not go far enough uh, in this respect. Um, and so we have, uh, over the year, we have been, been quite active. I think if, if you listen to the podcast, you might have uh, seen us also in, in Politico, where we talk about some of these challenges. Uh, we have tried to, to, to bring this to, to the attention of uh, UNETA 21, and we have been speaking with them directly, but also in, in conferences. Uh, and so uh, now we are just waiting, actually, for the European Commission to go through these updated um, updated uh, guidance documents, uh, and and they will be uh, putting forward, let's say, the finalized uh, idea of how this system could work. Uh, end of this year, beginning of next year, they're they're slightly delayed. So we have been very active. We have been uh, submitting over two hundred comments to to more than fourteen wow. uh, fourteen. <laughs> different consultations. So, so we've, we've been very busy and we're, we're looking forward to, to seeing how many of those comments have been taken on board. Um, and then, of course, as this, uh, this uh, new system is gradually being built, uh, you will have next year, you will have a, a more active coordination group, which is existing of the, the various member states HDA bodies that will then look at these uh, guidance documents and then um, take some of them on board uh, for the new procedure. Uh, at the same time, the European Commission will also be, be looking at what of these rules will need to go into, um, into implementing acts. Uh, so this is, of course, tertiary legislation that the European Commission has been empowered to develop by, uh, with, with the regulation. And uh, 
the things that you would typically see here are mm -hmm. things like the uh, the more specific timelines. For example, what would you need to do when there is a label change at the time of CHMP opinion? Uh, here you might uh, a developer might have to go back and then update the dossier that they have submitted, and they would need some time for that. And so, yeah. Uh, the, we're expecting these implementing acts to, to fix these timelines. And here the European Commission has some thinking to do. We have seen from UNETA 21 that they proposed a grace period of, of 10 days, but we see that this is really not enough. You would need a lot more time, for, uh, up to probably 45 calendar days in order to go back and really redo, look at your analysis, updating the date and then submitting this again. And so, uh, so it, it will be important that we keep engaging on these issues, and we will be doing so with uh, the European Commission, uh, that will serve as the Secretariat for for this new procedure, and also with the with the, the many member states as they're now getting active in the coordination group. There's a, there are a lot of interesting things that have happened over the year, but a lot that remains to be done in next year. Well, thanks for that huge update. Uh, definitely a lot of work to be done. The fact that you said what two hundred responses or two hundred consultations is is absolutely insane but keep up the incredible work and i'm sure we'll be uh very interested to hear what happens in the EHD space in 2023 um i think throughout our past podcasts and even through different blogs blog articles we've uh, already discussed what yuko believes uh could be done to ensure a less burdensome and robust EHD procedure so i think we could just provide a link to our our listeners on that but i want to move forward to uh, the topic of advanced diagnostics and uh, genomics. Uh, your genomics working group has been quite busy this year. Um, I guess I wanted to follow up and ask, what are some of the main deliverables of the group and what's needed next year to ensure these technologies can be made more widely available to patients through fit-for-purpose fit for assessment procedures and uh, viable pathways through reimbursement? So the genomics working group of UCOP, of course, was set up by advanced diagnostic developers within UCOP to ensure that um, European patients and healthcare systems can draw benefit from the significant advances that have been made in, in uh, genomic testing over the past 10 years. And, and um, the group aims to do so through really engaging all the stakeholders in discussion and, and hosting, uh, hosting these discussions. And so... This has been the, the, the focus of our work, and we've been doing this both at the EU level here in Brussels and also in, in some of the, the key member states that are leading on rolling out genomic testing for patients. Um, so we, we started uh, the year with, with quite some good news out of the, the BECA committee of the European Parliament that in their report on Europe's being a cancer plan, acknowledged uh, acknowledged the the the, uh, the benefits of advanced diagnostics and and really urged member states to to increase the funding and ensure that uh, that advanced diagnostics are reimbursed for for uh, European cancer patients um, at the same time uh, as we have been hosting these discussions at the EU level and I think we're now looking for for um, for um, a bit of a stronger collaboration with some of the other EU associations that we're seeing doing a lot of great things here as well. Uh, we have been engaging uh, in discussions at the national level. So at the beginning of the year, we had a, we had a, a meeting with the uh, Deputy Chief Scientific Officer of the NHS, together with NICE, NICE and NHRA. And we had a discussion around the, the uh, reimbursement pathways in, in the UK. Um, then in, in June, we had a, a meeting in, in Germany, that, uh, a meeting with uh, members of the, the new Bundestag in, in Germany, which was hosted by Frau Stamm-Fibich of the Social Democrats. 
Um, and then uh, we we closed off the year uh, with with a meeting in in Paris uh, just uh, shy of a week ago, um, where we had looked at the French system, which the President Macron is, has proposed to to reform um, with his Healthcare Innovation 2030 plan, uh, and we have developed a proposal for how this reform could ensure access to to, to more patients to advanced diagnostics in France. So. In France, it, when you look at, across the, the member states, the challenges are, are really unique to their own systems, as, as they typically are with access issues. Uh, but in, in France, who have been an, uh, an early adopter of, of advanced diagnostics, have set up a, a temporary uh, uh, funding scheme for the most innovative tests as they develop evidence. But we see that now this, this access pathway has been, been backed up or new tests are, are not able to, to make it onto the list. And... The funding is not adequate uh, to, to cover the full cost uh, of these tests. And, and so we have uh, put forward a proposal for how to, to, to uh, reform uh, this, this, uh, this access pathway in France. And so we are, we're driving these, these uh, conversations for, uh, forward at national level. Uh, and now we're also looking at uh, new opportunities for pharmaceutical companies to partner with advanced diagnostic companies uh, to, to address these issues. And we'll be become with more uh, exciting news about this uh, in the new year, Dante. No, thanks for that, so much for that, Matthias, and for, for also how, how you broke down such difficult and uh, arduous process like the EHG and genomics. So we definitely look forward to seeing what you have planned for in the new year as long as the group. So keep up the great work. And uh, just kind of as a final question note, I'm going to bring it back to Victor and uh, just kind of discuss how the biggest review of the European pharmaceutical system in two decades will arrive in early 2023 after being postponed this year. Um, so what has UCOP done to promote a more competitive and innovative ecosystem? And what should companies expect following the release of the revision proposal? I know it's been a, it's been a long year of waiting and seeing, uh, constantly kind of... Uh adjusting to the new timelines. But I think in 2022, a lot of our work was in making sure that the, the narrative that we as UCOP have, the, the concerns that we've had as a representative of small and mid-sized companies are properly conveyed to the commission. I think a lot of, of their thinking is admirable. A lot of what they want to achieve, I think we, we all agree with. It's a question about how. Um, so we spent last year really trying to speak with the commission through workshops at the beginning of the year's official consultation process but also kind of sharing our, our thoughts, our concerns, and our possible solutions um, with different members of the community as well over the last uh, few months. A lot of our work has also been on trying to demonstrate what we say. So not simply, you know, speaking empty terms, but really kind of developing the papers that supplement what we say, looking at potentially looking at some, some analog examples of how, of how we can support those, um, those, those concerns that we have in a very practical, granular way, make sure that people understand what our thinking is. And a lot of that's going to be coming out. But I would say, kind of, as, as with anyone in the space, there have been a few big things we've looked at this year. First of all has been the concept of launch conditionality, uh, for which, again, we've got a fantastic position paper we've been working on this year. And uh, hopefully the podcast on that is, is out. And I know there's, a, there's another blog article planned as well. So quite a lot kind of there on our thinking. We've been looking at the concept of medical need as well, in both the general pharmaceutical legislation and the orphan legislation, because it's got significant ramifications for the future of the industry, especially if this is something we only want to look at once every 20 years. And ultimately as well, we've been looking at the, uh, the incentive framework, 
the orphan uh, kind of an orphan space. We've been looking at it from our ISG and orphan working groups, but also through the OD expert group. They're looking at what a um, what a alternative modulation system might look like. And we're looking to see if we can kind of share those that thinking with the wider community as well. We've developed, especially the OD expert group piece, with a multi-stakeholder coalition. But also kind of from a from a general form of legislation piece, we've been quite concerned about some of the talk of launching conditionality on that medical need modulating regulatory data protection. Because we have seen a decrease in, in uh, funding compared to the US and different uh, countries in the Asia Pacific. So if we want to make sure that we do keep driving innovation in Europe, making sure that we do keep developing new therapies that can make it to patients, we need to make sure that that, that, indeed, that, that competitive environment stays in place. We don't want policies that have those unintended consequences that can have ripple effects, discouraging development of therapies or, or delaying the launch of those therapies here in Europe further. We don't want a policy environment that's untenable. And that's really kind of what we've been trying to do over the last year. And next year, when we continue that, that kind of challenge of trying to demonstrate and explain why a lot of what we see is, is coming forward, we completely agree with what they want to do. We, we agree with kind of the intentions there. The question is how? So ultimately, again, I think competitiveness is a byword, is kind of the, the overarching umbrella for a lot of the conversation we're having around any of these pieces of legislation. How do we stay competitive? How do we bring these therapies to patients? Um, just to not end on a bad note as well, um, I think there are a few important things that, that get spoken about a bit less um, when, um, when we talk about the review of general pharmaceutical legislation and some of the regulatory changes. For instance, um, updating working methods of the EMA, changing the evidence requirements, being a bit more open to adaptive clinical trial pathways, and streamlining the, the workings of the EMA. These are all fantastic things that we're really excited to see. It's really going to help make sure that the EMA, which is already a world-class institution, lives up to that and make sure it's future-proofed. So I think you know we've, we've looked at some things that are challenging for us and challenging for the space as a whole, but let's not forget some of the, the really important positive changes that the Commission's putting forward as well. Definitely, Victor. Thank you for that. Definitely, there are some key attributes that Europe has um, in in comparison to its competitors. But it's important that uh, the legislation, the regulatory environment, reflects kind of a predictable and robust framework in order to make us a much more um, innovative hub in the in the global market. Um, I guess since the topic of the year or of this podcast is the end of year recap and a look ahead to twenty twenty three, resolutions are always in order. And I know it's kind of cliche, but what the hell? Um, so let's start off with first a personal resolution. We'll start off with a personal resolution and then a, a resolution for the, I guess, the biopharmaceutical environment for 2023. So, Victor, just because you ended it last, what is a personal resolution um, of yours for next year? And also something that you see happens uh, within the EU life sciences uh, or, or health network? Well, thankfully, I've got, I've got a personal resolution locked and loaded, ready to go. Uh, to learn to dive next year, go scuba diving. So uh, there you go, something, uh, something ready there. Um, I think for for the industry, I think one one of our key, I think there's two key things. One one is really maybe a continuation of what we've done, but to make sure that we continue to work collaboratively and continue to work with the stakeholder community as a whole and not kind of sit in in our in our bubble. I think that's how we're going to address a lot of those uh, those challenges. That's great. Thank you for that, Victor. And I, I wish you the best of luck in your new diving experience. Please don't uh, don't die or get bitten by a shark. 
Uh, Matthias, we'll move to you now. Uh, personally, what is a resolution for yourself for 2023? And I guess a resolution for what you see in the, in the EU health space. Thank you very much. So my personal uh, New Year's resolution is to continue improving my drawing, I guess. Uh, and then uh, uh, I can only echo what my colleague Victor said, as, as this was uh, what I was thinking too, is uh, my New Year's resolution when it comes to, to the work that we are doing is to, to really uh, commit to, to engaging multi-stakeholder dialogues. We, we really see this as, as um, core to, to the work that we are doing that uh, that we need as we are developing proposals for the for the future um, future healthcare um, products that, that are uh, coming to the market in the next couple of years. We need to involve all the stakeholders in this to ensure that we have a system that works for everyone. Thank you for that, Matthias. That's great, and I uh, look forward to looking more of your drawings at the office here. And uh, and lastly, Leander. <laughs> The flying Dutchman. <laughs> so I just want to ask you what some of your re resolutions are for 2023, uh, personally and professionally in the EU health context. Well, personally, I hope also to stay in shape because next year I have two weddings upcoming. So at least I want to fit into the suit. <laughs> and um, well, uh, professionally, I think it's most important, as I mentioned uh, before, uh, European Health Data Space is all about finding right uh, balance between uh, data protection on one hand and uh, data sharing. So I think you have to stay engaged with all our stakeholders uh, and to, just to, to convey our messages uh, and uh, hope that we'll make it through next year. <laughs> I, I enjoy that. I enjoy it. I think we will for sure. I'll just say my own personal resolution is probably to uh, improve my, my own health. I I need to work on my fitness on a on a much greater scale and to uh, to eat less. So I'll, that's my personal resolution. And in terms of the EU health context, I mean, I want to wait and see, but I just want to continue the great work that we've been doing here at UCOP and ensure that the environment is much more predictable and flexible for the small and mid-sized health technology company. Um, finally, as a kind of a send-off note, as the European Trade Association that gives a bigger voice to small and mid-sized health technology companies, UCOP and its members are committed to building an advanced European healthcare and pharmaceutical environment that rewards innovation, promotes access, and balances system sustainability. As my esteemed colleagues, Victor, Matthias, and Leander demonstrated today, our goal is to strengthen the innovation environment in Europe, uh, taking into account the challenges of pharmaceutical development all across the product lifecycle, and hope to make the EU a more competitive region for investment. So at this critical stage, Industry stakeholders must continue to share their insights and experience, whether directly or through trade, associ trade associations like us at UCOP, in order for the resulting legislation to ensure an attractive, competitive, and innovative EU biopharmaceutical ecosystem that benefits patients. Well, that's it for this episode and the year. For all of us here at UCOP, we want to thank you for joining us over the past 12 months as we explore the ever-changing and innovative world of European life sciences. You can continue to stay up to date with our work by engaging with us on Twitter and LinkedIn or by visiting our website, www.ucope.org. We'll see you in 2023 for more exciting discussions. Stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks for listening.